for 11 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. Information that you can't get anywhere else. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. And a great big good morning to hour two of Rosie on the House. Come on in, the door's wide open. And if that last hour didn't make you hungry, I don't know what we got to do to get you hungry. White Barn Hay and Cattle Company. You can custom order your own beef. That's the future of grocery shopping in in my eyes. And I understand if you were in the Phoenix market, you may not have heard our fourth segment. Um, That will be on our website. And it was a really neat concept on, you know, taking your animal and putting them on his property for him to feed it. Um, and if that happens, or if you want to catch the entire broadcast and it's full, you can always go to rosieonthehouse.com slash radio. Absolutely. A couple of our affiliates are music stations and don't have news feed cut-ins. So you can go stream it live and never miss a minute. Well, I'm so hungry. I went out at the break to see if someone from the station had time to run down to the county fairgrounds. <laughs> That's a neat concept. Do you know this weekend you can go to the Arizona State Fair and drive through the food court? And that's the only thing at the State Fair. That's it. That's it. But the food court. So if so I said, look, I want you to go down there and I want you to get me one fried pizza, one fried turkey leg, one fried pickle, one fried hot dog, <laughs> one one basket of Indian fry bread. I want you to bring back a wheelbarrow of State Fair fried food. And a Diet Coke to go with. And a Diet Coke, exactly. And the funny thing about the State Fair that ties in, the state a building at the State Fair gave me an idea I proposed to our guest in studio today, Mr. Don Ryden, Ryden Architects. He's a returning guest. And what is that style of roofing structure <laughs> in the agricultural center where they have the auctions it's this dome and it's all these two by sixes at a weird cut angle it's this huge massive roof with no big beams what is that style that is a structure called a lamella roof lamella roof and the idea was to talk about all the different types of ceiling structures that are out there you don't see anymore because everything's these a-frame pre-built trusses that you get on a semi and it's not this craftsmanship that you get to enjoy at that an otherwise dilapidated dilapidated uh, facility <laughs> dilapidated at, at the fairgrounds in maricopa county well we've we've invited don Ryden back in the studio repeat guest uh because if you track if you're a subscriber to our uh email weekly newsletter you know, our topic of the week this week on the show is the Arizona indoor slash outdoor lifestyle. And we couldn't think of anyone better to invite to a program to talk about how we got to the to this point in our housing history that we're able to enjoy the indoor-outdoor almost like none other before. So this is just one way. We work to become your best friend, and you're welcome to join the conversation if you'd like to talk to Don as we get started here, one 767 Now, Don, we're talking indoor-outdoor lifestyle today and all the evolution of housing that's brought us here. 
it really started, it all started as outdoor living. Absolutely. <laughs> there wasn't anything else. Uh, outdoor living and a cave. Yeah, pretty much. You want an interior design or interior decorate, you just... Hieroglyphics. Yeah, you just paint a picture of your dog and the bear and the coyote and your hands on the wall. That's interior decorating. That's yeah. interior decorating. That's right. Oh, man. Or if you're uh, really up and coming, you're going to build yourself in a, a comfortable house and go find a south-facing cave and build a cliff dwelling. Absolutely ingenious. And they didn't have... The, the wherewithal to do BTU calculations or our uh, thermal insulation calculations, by trial and error, they established, well, south makes sense. It'll give us a winter sun. And, the, and by trial and error, they figured out what size block to make to transfer the heat on a 12-hour basis. Um, they had security system built in, right? <laughs> That's right. Way up on the cliff. Yeah. You're going to climb up here and get me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They had their backyard garden down below in the uh, on the creek. On the irrigated creek. And every lot was a premium view lot. <laughs> that is indeed true, I especially mean, at like Montezuma's Castle. When, when you start studying what went into those housing structures, it I mean, the, their whole life was spent around... Survival and comfort, and now we're basically still focused on those same things. All right. It's, it's the basis of uh, human uh, existence uh, to have your shelter and your food and your security. And uh, even today, we're searching for exactly the same things that were uh, uh, important to people a thousand years ago, different cultures entirely, but we all still have a human connection to the outdoors, probably just hardwired into us from well, thousands of years. It is. I mean, uh, we start in caves. Uh, we, start, we start by trial and error engineering cliff dwellings, mud huts, uh, excavated pit homes, uh, various forms, wherever you were that you were, your society was evolving. Uh, but let's fast forward up to fairly recent times. Let's say the last hundred years. Oh, within our With, human memory, right? Yeah, within our human memory. You and me. One of my favorite <laughs> books is Bill Bryson's book, The History of the Home. And it talks about the history of every room in the house. Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of today's indoor-outdoor living home. And where, where can we trace that to? I think probably most recognizable source of an indoor-outdoor concept was that of none other than Frank Lloyd Wright. Okay. Back in uh, Chicago in about 1900, he and some of his colleagues there uh, developed a concept called the Prairie House. He was trying to create a brand new American architecture. He was rebelling against the Victorian-style houses that were all very tight, little boxes, dark and cluttered, and very vertical in their uh, in their character. And he. Uh, enjoyed living out on the plains of uh, Illinois and, and uh, in Wisconsin. And so 
He went horizontal with his prairie houses and came up with ideas of how to uh, create windows and large opening doors and rooms that were uh, open, were flowing, and the architecture itself was weightless. It was very different from what we call open uh, plan houses today. His plans flowed. They weren't big, empty rooms. Now, that's... Okay, we'll get back to that because I think that's a lot of what you see now. People yes. call it open floor plans. It's just empty, naked space. That's and exactly right. I, and and, and I, I can't design my way out of a paper bag, but to me it's really <laughs> ugly. <laughs> it's very bare. Yes. No yes. character in it at all. Right. But it seems to be the t- current trend. It is. It is. Well, I've, I've fast-forwarded here. Let's go back to Frank Lloyd Wright bringing the concepts of the Prairie House in, going from the upright Victorian that you see all through the East Coast, the row houses, what they were building uh, in their homelands when they, when they immigrated to the United States, and now we're going to start flattening those floor plans, spread them out a little bit, and create a lot of opportunities to bring outside inside. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He uh, was just uh, revolutionary in his uh, approach to the indoor-outdoor lifestyle, and I suppose he practiced it best and learned all about it with his uh, 1938 winter camp. Heath called it a camp. We call it Taliesin West. So he saw it kind of as the wintertime getaway from... uh, uh, from Taliesin North. and uh, In the 1930s, that was a pretty good journey. Oh, yeah. They I mean, had a caravan. In the 1930s, yeah. it was a pretty good journey to go from downtown Phoenix <laughs> to Taliesin. Oh, yeah, right. Pack a lunch. <laughs> oh, man, all dirt, all dirt road. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was, it was, and, but I would, I, I don't know the man, never met him, uh, have, have admired his work, but being in the foot of the McDowell's since the 60s, I've walked Taliesin and its surrounding property a thousand times. And you can't help but try and imagine what it was like digging that first footing in the <laughs> 1930s and saying, uh, you, he was remote. Oh, yes. He was out there on the edge. And what a view all oh. across the valley. It was absolutely gorgeous. And they're opening back up for tours yes, again this month. Yeah. They've been, I don't know how long they've been closed or I don't know, sometimes in the summer, just naturally they close. It's right. We're not as hardy as Frank Lloyd Wright was because <laughs> I understand even in the summer, he still wore a full three piece suit because he always said, you never know when you're going to meet a client. And, uh, <laughs> and they're open for tours now again. That's great. That's great. So, uh, that's uh, that's kind of the the deal. He was a, he was really a, a fellow who was trying to express uh, the spirit of democracy in uh, in America and the freedom of the individual as an individual. And uh, I have a quote here that uh, he wrote about six years before his death in 1959. He says this this idea of the spirit of democracy took hold of the old-fashioned Victorian house as we know it, took off the attic, pulled off the porch, yanked out the basement, and made a single, spacious, harmonious unit of the living room, dining room, and kitchen with appropriate 
entry convenience. He was writing that for you today, Rosie. In the 50s. Uh, appropriate entry convenience. He's talking about indoor-outdoor living without quite getting to it. From Frank Lloyd Wright's own Pen and Mouth, brought to you by Mr. Don Ryden, who we're going to be back with here in just a couple of minutes. Y'all stay tuned. On the outside looking in <laughs> Gotta find a way, gotta find a way back to your heart, dear we're talking indoor-outdoor living concept and the evolution of that as we've seen it in the world of the housing market, in particular, right here in the great state of Arizona. We're talking with a good friend, longtime friend, Mr. Don Ryden of Ryden Architects, historical architect of great renown, right? Yeah. yeah, it's been said. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I'm a modest man, but a highly accomplished man. We've always enjoyed our visits together, and we were talking about the Frank Lloyd Wright influence of bringing the outdoor in. And once you move out of these 50s and 60s ranch-style cubicle homes into something more like a Bucky Haver or um any of the a little bit more contemporary where you've got a little bit more elbow room in each room i mean as a remodeler we do well all year long taking load-bearing walls out and combining living and dining and kitchen i mean that's that's one of our biggest projects right now month over month uh you and i both knew you knew him very well i only had occasion to meet him once or twice but architectural professor over at asu Right, Cal Straub. Right, Cal Straub uh, was uh, a, a great influence in in my life and my career. First, he was my professor at ASU, and then uh, he uh, ended up becoming my boss when I got out of out of school. Worked for him, and uh, he pretty much became uh, my mentor as well. And. Uh, it was uh, he was quite a brilliant man. He was a real humanist. He just loved loved people, and he loved designing comfortable homes for them that had a spirit that just would never end. So uh, uh, he was a great influence on uh, all of us back in uh, oh 1969 oh, yeah. 70. Yeah. Well, I I didn't get to know him till I made my way to the ASU campus in 75, but. Uh, all my roommates and all my best friends were in the School of Architecture. But I worked for an architect at the time uh, who said, Rosie, you should go be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so I hung out with all the guys in the School of Architecture uh, doing lab all afternoon from, you know, one in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night. I was their, I was their meal runner. You know? Oh, meal runner? <laughs> yeah. did, did you make the little tree models for their, for their sometimes, site plans? Sometimes sure, you had I to did. do that. But I was over in the Dell Webb School of Engineering. But I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any architect alum from ASU from the 70s that didn't have a Cal Straub or George Christensen story. <laughs> That's true. I worked for them both after school, too. And, 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 and a couple times I met Cal was meeting him and George for a pizza and a cold drink at the old Organ Stop 
pizza <laughs> pizza shop. What was it on 16th Street? Seventh uh, in Missouri. Seventh, Seventh in Missouri. That's right. Oh dear, I was a baby. And you only had to meet Cal once or twice before you had a story about him. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, he he gave us uh, uh, a whole lot to think about. I think uh, with regards to our indoor outdoor living uh, theme today, the the couple of things that he said uh, always stick with me is that uh, uh, he basically said that every room in your house should have a related mirror image outdoor room so that if you had a kitchen indoors, you had a kitchen outdoors, a living room in, a living room out, places to dine, place, all of that, every room you should be able to flow outside and have a version of that function outdoors as well. What a concept. Yeah, well, it, it does make sense, especially here in our climate. You can do that for about eight, nine months of the year. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. at a home just the other day where a family was telling us they've got uh, heaters mounted on their back patio ceiling. And they said, you know, all January, February, we open all the doors of the house and we just turn those radiant heaters on the back patio. And that that's our comfort through the whole home. Oh, sure. That's because you've got all the electronics still on taking up vampire power. Yeah, that's And right. you're warming the house with your electronics and your refrigerator. And just living in the showers and the cooking and right. everything else. That's right. But, I mean, they, they had their home really, truly set up as open flowing. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I guess that's really uh, something that everybody is trying to seek uh, in their lifestyles here uh, in Arizona. Now, one of the things that really help, one of the things that really helps you great architects is us great engineers, because the products and the engineering behind homes, I mean, we can now air condition a home for 60% for less electricity through the evolution of the new air conditioning system. So it allows you guys Hey, open her up, baby. <laughs> we, we figured out insulation. We figured out reduced electrical consumption. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing. We can't do without the, uh, the gadgetry to supplement the passive solar lifestyle. More with Don Ryden here at Rosie on the House when we get back. Come on in, y'all. Let me tell you about my good friends over at Sanderson Ford. They've got a promise for you. They promise and they deliver. Sanderson Ford's been promising a better car buying experience and keeping the promise for over 65 years. And now during the 65th anniversary sale, they promise the best buying experience, the biggest inventory, and the lowest prices. Look, you buy a new car, they're going to give you a 65-inch TV with the purchase of any new Ford. Romy, get in there, buy yourself a convertible GT Mustang. You get the 65-inch TV, turn the garage into your own private drive-in. You would need a garage for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't load hay in it, but if I had a garage, that would be something I would do. You could have your own personal drive-in. You know, the great thing about having your own personal drive-in is nobody's going to come knock on the window when you're smooching with your gal. You never went to a drive-in, did you? Well, I was just thinking about how we're going <laughs> to 
sit in there without the four kids. Maybe throw them in a different vehicle and lock them in or something, I guess. If y'all looking for a new vehicle, I'm telling you this. Whether you want your own personal drive-in at the garage or you want an F-150 or 250 or whatever Ford vehicle it is you're looking for, I'm telling you the right place to get it is at Sanderson Ford. 51st Avenue, just south of Glendale, open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. I got a funny story on that this morning. I traded vehicles. Tinley's been driving my 08 uh, F-150 that's an XLT. And my 2019 is just an XL, very, you know, as basic of a package as you can get. And that's very, I have a lot of reasons for that. Um, When you live on a washboard road, it's just the the, the less bells and whistles to vibrate and rattle. And uh, yeah, I have seen washboard, you know, over a 10 year period do a lot of strange things to a vehicle. So I always try and get, man, I know a manual crank. I can always get it up and I can always get it down <laughs> on the windows. You know, I, I, I stick to the basics for a reason. So my 808 is an XLT. My 19 is an XL. And when I told her we were switching this morning, she goes, ooh, I get the fancy vehicle. I thought, well, thank God she didn't see the King Ranch Platinum that they had on the line. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Well, that's great. You want to see fancy, Shaft. They got some fancy in those Platinums. Yeah, boy, they do. Absolutely. Here this morning at Rosie on the House, if you'd like to join the conversation about the evolution of indoor-outdoor living in our housing, give us a ring at one 767 4348 The auto attendant will answer. Just simply push 1, and then I'll put you in direct contact with my wife, Sweet Jennifer, who's in the call screening booth, taking your name and question, and we'll get to you as quick as we can. If you'd like to talk about the concept of indoor-outdoor living, we have special guest here, Mr. Don Ryden of Ryden Architects. Don, why don't we talk a little bit about the history of your firm? What's interesting about that? (laughs) Everything. Some of your projects are fantastic, but, I mean, we, you and I go back, to the mid to late 70s, I think, is when oh, we yes, first met. Oh, yes, certainly. Yes, yeah. it was, uh, yeah, about 73, 74 yeah. is when we first met. Yeah, exactly. So I've always had uh, kind of a calling towards uh, a combination of historic buildings and the aspects of, uh, I guess, passive solar sustainable living. Okay, and so I've always kind of followed along that path uh, for uh, for a calling in in architecture, and uh, on top of that, then having done that for several years, I kind of got into the cause of heritage conservation, and so I end up doing a lot of work uh, on historic buildings, famous Arizona buildings, a lot of work for Arizona State Parks. Uh, federal projects, things like that, a lot of city work, and even surveying entire rural cities to uh, oh, wow. to determine uh, what neighborhoods are uh, historic districts. So, you know, we've done Sedona, we've done, all, well, even urban areas. We did the National Register nomination for downtown Tucson. There's a hotbed of remodeling for the past century. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you could do that one for an hour or so. Yes, you could. So, uh, Ryden Architects is, is kind of a, a 
small-sized uh, generalist in architecture, and we enjoy working with people and listening uh, intently to their needs. Uh, and the second client, as Cal Straub would say, is the site itself or the house that you're remodeling. So you listen to the people and you listen to the place. And your website. Uh, the website, uh, ridenarchitects.com. Uh, that's all there is to it. And we've invited Don in. Anytime you want to talk about the history of housing, Don, I have to tell you, in my 32 years of broadcasting, I can look back. I believe it was a four- or five-week series we did. It had to be about 10 years ago. Well, it was exactly for the occasion of Arizona's centennial. Centennial, that's so right. So it was uh, 12, uh, 2012. 2012. Okay. And in all my 32 years of broadcasting this program, that four-week series to this day is still my favorite four-week series I've ever done. Oh, that's great. Well, you got the Endurance Award for having to put up with we, all of my brain droppings we, in that series. I mean, we talked about all the great houses and all the I ingenuity like that. you know, that went into the early housing over the century, the centennial of Arizona. But let's get back to today's topic, indoor-outdoor living. We've covered a little bit about how Frank Lloyd Wright kind of broke the mold of that Victorian vertical, squashed it, created open space for every room. Uh, we talked a little bit about our, our my acquaintance, your friend, Cal Straub. Who else has taken that concept and, 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 and grown it to what it is today? Who are some of the key figures? Well, I think that there were a lot of people in the 30s who were trying to figure out during the Great Depression how to design respectable, comfortable housing that was affordable. And so Frank Lloyd Wright began with his prairie houses, but but uh, smallened them down to being his Usonian homes yes. in the late 30s. And at the same time, in California— architects such as Cliff May sure. were coming up with another approach to uh, architecture by delving back into the agricultural roots of California. He came up with the ranch-style house. And so he was coming up with a respectable home that was comfortable and warm built out of materials uh, like board and batten, uh, red brick wainscoting, uh, things like that, so that people could uh, recognize it and uh, feel good about the homes they are in. They were very simple, like you say, most of them were small, and they were well adapted to mass production housing, especially after World War II. <laughs> when America had figured out how in the world to mass produce anything. Right. And so the idea of having a, uh, a conveyor belt uh, fabrication line applied to housing is that instead of moving the houses down the line, you move the crews down the line uh, of the street. So that's how uh, tracked housing using simple uh, ranch style houses all made affordable by the FHA and the GI Bill. So Cliff May is the, the guy that really got that all started. It was part of a, a 
actually a contest, a magazine contest. Was it, really? it was a competition, and th- this is uh, one of the uh, the most popular uh, winners of the uh, of that contest. Now, one of the things they did that I'd like to reverse is they took everybody out of the front yard and moved them on the back patio. What do we got to do to bring back the front yard neighborhoods? Uh, Put in trolley cars, get rid of automobiles, (laughs) and put the stable in the backyard. You don't want to be in the backyard with the stable. Oh, Oh. gee, Romy. That's your house, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> From the Wall Street Journal, the forgotten front porch is making a comeback. There you I have. saved this article for Saturday. I was actually going to bring it up next hour, but y'all jumped right to it. The front porch is making a comeback. It's true, here in Phoenix. And should. Yeah, the, the big deal, if you go down to the historic neighborhoods uh, like They're Roosevelt, and it's front yards and it's porches, verandas on your bungalow. Uh, those houses were were built a couple of feet off the ground, so you actually had a little perch up there. So there there is this uh, progression of public to semi-public to semi-private. That's the porch to the private. That's the house, and so that that sort of a thing uh, really made for uh, tighter, happier neighborhoods because you were all together. The lots were. Narrow on the front and very deep. Deep. That's because there was so much pedestrian walking to get down to the trolley car. Uh You didn't drive. You took the trolley. And so the houses were packed closer together. When they built ranch houses, they were the rambling ranch houses. Needed a wider So you had a wider (laughs) but shallower lot and... You needed a wider lot because you had one or two cars, and now the car moved out of that detached garage in the rear to be glued onto the side of your house so that you could see your success in the tail fins. fins. of your Show your fins off. Show your fins <laughs> sticking out towards the street. Oh, and so hilarious. pretty soon they didn't even bother putting sidewalks in some of these ranch neighborhoods. That's true. That's very true. Now, one of the guys kind of in the Phoenix area that kind of made a name for himself for modifying that ranch into a little bit more of a contemporary look was Bucky Haver. Ralph Haver. Uh, Ralph Haver. Ralph Haver. Bucky's dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So uh, right now uh, there's a renaissance in in finding and rehabilitating uh, Ralph Haver. Haver uh, Holmes, his were uh, his take on the contemporary style. So what he did was take the spatial aspects of Frank Lloyd Wright's Usonian house and married it with the comfort and feel and vernacular materials of the ranch house, put those together and came up with this contemporary house. He still had the flow inside of uh, space. The roofs floated over the, uh, uh, over the home. He incorporated a patio with the carport. So he, yes. had, he, had, he had patio ports. Okay. And uh, a lot of these you see, this big, broad gable 
on the front side of the house, which is totally backwards to the economic way of building. You would build the the, the shorter span of your right. roof on, on the short span of your rectangle. He did it the other direction and made this big, broad, low roof. Well, I will tell you one thing just from personal experience of living here in town since the 1960s. If you ever doubt the value of good design, talk to a realtor in a Haver neighborhood and ask him, what can I get for that? What do I have to pay for that Haver house? And what do I have to pay for that track house? Mm-hmm. That's exactly true. The Haver house always brings a premium because good design brings a premium. Inside Here at Rosie on the House, talking about outdoor-indoor living and intermingling the two of them with historical architect and architectural historian, Mr. Don Ryden of Ryden Architects. Don, again, I want to thank you again for taking time to come in and and join us and share your uh, knowledge on the subject. Um, I don't think we can wrap this segment up talking through the love of indoor-outdoor without talking about Cal Straub's 14 stations of the beer. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he insisted that there had to he, be This was actually 14. classroom material. No, this is more Oh, like, this extracurricular? This is more extracurricular <laughs> okay. stuff. Right. Uh, and with proper lubrication, we probably got better education at the Oregon Stop Pizza Parlor. <laughs> uh, but he insisted that there be uh, 14 stations of the beer that you could do your evening pilgrimage. At every home. At every home. And so even to this day, no matter how large or how small a house is, I always talk to the client about thinking about 14 stations of the beer. No matter whether it's just a stump to sit on and look back at the house or some high spot up on a roof deck to go look at the mountains, whatever. We try and give people sort of a pilgrimage for their evening, uh, evening relaxation. That's an inspirational benchmark for any design. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's a meditative sort of an experience. Oh. Well, again, we're talking about the evolution of housing in particular in the Arizona market through the 50s, 60s, 70s. We're, we're learning through good design how to bring the outside in and make the inside more out. Um, let, I, I think we have to let people know how would they get a hold of you if they'd like to visit with you and what oh, kind yeah. of work would you like to yeah. uh, give me a call at uh, the office telephone. Do, I, do I have to own a historical home to call you? Oh no, not at all okay. not at all uh, any, any old house will do any new house will <laughs> okay, do, right. any vacant lot would do Okay, all right. Uh, so we could help you out with that, you could call uh, me at Ryden Architects at uh, 602 253 5381 or email me at don at And how are Don and Eric Ryden going to design the future? What what's oh. what's the future of housing? Well, the future of indoor outdoor housing, I suppose, uh, is based on well, at least this week. <laughs> Seriously, things change. Amen. This week, uh, it's Dealing with 
climate, that is global warning, warming, global warning. There you have it. Warning, warning. Yeah, warning, warning. 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 Global warming. Our uh, Our clients are worried about climatic conditions and paying for their air conditioning. Well, maybe you should be living outdoors more. The other thing is health and safety. And yeah. so those are, the, those are the three things that I see right now in, in what we do with indoor-outdoor living. We, we deal with their work, their play, their health, and their harmony. Those are the four big criteria uh, for thinking about how to live inside out while we're all upside down. I love it. And the, the website, Don. Uh, just just go to RidenArchitects.com. R-Y-D-E-N. Mm-hmm. Don Ryden. Uh, proud to call him a good friend. Don, it's going on 45 years. Yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> I was count, counting the rings of the tree the oh, other day, man. and it has been a long time. I think we're overdue for another dinner at Wright's. There you go. All right. When well, it opens. Let, yeah, <laughs> yeah, when it real. Let's, let's get that on the calendar for sure. Well, thank you for having me along today and putting up with me. We were talking yesterday on the phone, and Don said, well, you know, I want to bring up from the back of my mind the things you may be bringing up. I said, Don, I'm not even going to scratch the surface of your mind. Don't worry about dragging up anything from the back. Brain (laughs) droppings. And I like this concept. We've got to do one on ceilings because there's so much more to ceilings than just either a flat or a vaulted gypsum board. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. We'll we'll start with... uh, uh, swirling logs of a hogan. Oh, there you go. An octagonal room. And I liked your idea of bringing churches into it because that was one thing that I was paused. I was like, we've got to be able to find enough public buildings people can go in and see as we're talking about these. I've only got like six or seven on my list. And you're like, well, if you bring in some of these churches, we could blow that list up and we could easily then have have them for every market we're in from Green Valley, Tucson, Casa Grande, Phoenix, and Flagstaff. Right. There's examples in every community of aspirational design uh, where uh, the architect is really given free reign to do something uh, expressive. It's uh, a combination of form, function, and faith. I like it. I, one of the ones that's really cool is the Desert Rose Bar and Grill that backs up to Grand at in Old Town Glendale. Now, it, that's a religious experience. <laughs> well, it, it, it was... <laughs> It wasn't originally a, a bar. It was some some industrial building. They got turned into it, but it's it's got this dome um, with the. I, I'll, I'll have to bring pictures, but that, we're gonna we're gonna do that one. Okay, we'll do slides next time on the radio. There you go. That's <laughs> we. You know, with the digital world and podcasts, uh, you know, we might be able to incorporate something. Zooming. <laughs>